Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Yeah? Man, y'all are looking good this morning. Hey, look at the person next to you and say, you look good, but not as good as me. Right? Right? Some of y'all said that with too much confidence and swag. Hey, welcome to Eastgate Church. My name is Josh, lead pastor here, which means I'm lead servant here at this church. If you're a guest, Hey, you're no longer a guest. You are family, so make yourself at home. We're glad that you're here today. Everyone watching online, if you would, do us a big favor. Hit that like button. Hit that share button and help us reach as many people as we can with a message today. Can we just say hello to our online audience today? Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate you guys doing that. We got a lot to cover today. I'm excited about the baptisms. So excited about that. I know some of y'all are here to see that happen. We love dunking people around here. We love dunking them. And some of the kids, they were asking me before prayer this morning, they said, can you hold me down a little bit longer, Pastor Josh? And I thought, maybe we should get your parents to come hold you down a little bit longer. That would be <laughs> with, with baptism and therapy all at the same time. You know, it would be a great... <laughs> Great way to do it. So we'll do you a favor here. Uh, if you got your Bibles or your tablets, if you would go to the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to hang out in chapter 1 to start this thing off today. Galatians chapter 1. Um, my goodness gracious, the book of Galatians is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. I love this. Let's dive in. Galatians 1, starting in verse 1. Says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Boy, there's something special about knowing who you are. Paul says, look, I don't need y'all to validate me. I know who called me. I know who appointed me. I know who's, who sent me on this mission. It, I'm here on behalf of Jesus. He says, all the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Um, some people wonder why Paul would write letters to these churches. And one of the things that, that Paul did is he'd travel around and he would preach the gospel in these regions or these towns that he went to. And people would get saved. And, and when they get saved, you get enough of them together to form a small church. And then Paul would move to the next place and plant another church. A big part of what he did. And so from time to time, he would go back to see how these churches were doing. And he would also write letters to these churches to encourage them and correct them and make sure they were staying on the path. And so this is what Paul is doing here to the church in Galatia. Um, he says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever. Amen. I'm shocked. I love that. Just after this beautiful news of the gospel, here comes Paul. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Paul is writing these people to try to correct something crazy that's going on. I love this where he says, I'm shocked. You know, in today's terms, like if my granny had said this, she would have said something like, child, please. What are you doing? You know, have you lost your mind? Um, he's trying to rein them back in because here's what's happening. You've got... Two 
predominant groups of people that are at work here in this uh, phase of the early church's development. You've got this group of Jews who have a huge, huge history of tradition, a huge history of rule following, huge history of, um, I mean, basically religious ritual that they were used to and accustomed to following in order to appease God. But then they come into the knowledge of Jesus, and Jesus changed everything. They give their hearts to him. And so you've got people with that kind of background that are saved now and in love with Jesus, trying to work stuff out. And then you've got this other group called the Gentiles. Okay, The Gentiles, they got no church background. They don't know anything about the Jewish history or tradition. They know very little about God. They've been doing their own thing. And now they've heard this message of Jesus. And God has rocked their world and brought about change in their life. And so they're trying to get their feet under them and get traction with this whole Christianity thing. But what's happening is this group of Jews that have all the history, that have all the rituals, are saying, hey, Jesus is awesome. We're excited for you guys. We need to teach you how to do what we already know to do. So they're bringing them into their tradition, their rituals, their preference, their opinion, and all of this stuff. They're, they're trying to integrate the freedom of what Jesus brought with the legalistic ties of religion. And Paul's saying, hey, this is messed up. This is not what Jesus died for. We need to put the brakes on. It's like they were doing crazy things. They were, they were trying to get them to follow like the pattern of feasts and festivals that the Jewish people had. Um, they were trying to get them to observe like sacred holidays and things like that. They, they were trying to get them to eat food like the Jewish people ate and avoid food that the Jewish people avoided. <clears throat> And it became a lot of hoops that these people had to jump through. And then the coup de grace of all of it, they were trying to get these people to get circumcised. Now that they were believers, guys, can we just pause for a second on that? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, they, they, can you imagine just giving your heart to the Lord? And here comes like 15 things you got to do. Oh, and by the way, we got something special too. <laughs> All you guys are going to need to go over to the special meeting room. You, can you imagine if we did that in church today? You know what I mean? Hey, we're awesome that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You need to go back to this room and see Fred. <laughs> what, what do you mean go back to the room and see Why are there like 95% of Eastgate Church women and only 5% of Eastgate Church men? What is the deal with all of that? I don't understand all of that. Well, here at this church, we, we are... We're practicing what we believe is a strong belief where we want Jesus to become more and we want us to become a little bit less. And so we're going to go back to that room and make you a little bit less. So just get ready. It's going to be that kind of Sunday, I promise you. <laughs> it's like this, the, the old joke where you've got the pastor, the priest, and the rabbi that are out camping. And the discussion comes up and, and the rabbi says, you know, we're all pretty good at presenting our faith. And we've led many people to our faith. And the pastor says, amen, I know that's right. And the priest says, well, how do we know who's the best? And the pastor says, well, we all know who that might be. He says, we just need to have a contest because it's easy to lead men to the Lord and lead men to the faith. Let's pick the wildest, meanest animal in these woods and see who can convert them. And they said, yeah, let's each of us find a bear 
and see who can convert the bear. So the priest goes out, the pastor goes out, and the rabbi goes out. At the end of the day, they all come back. The pastor says, I'll have y'all know, I found me a bear. I preached the gospel truth to it, and he accepted our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he's going to be baptized tomorrow in the river. And the priest said, that's amazing. I too found a bear on my journey. And I told him about my faith. He accepted our Lord, and tomorrow he's going to have holy communion. And then they looked over at the rabbi, and they noticed that he was beaten and bruised and bloody, and his clothes were ripped up. And they said, what in the world happened to you, man? And the rabbi said, you know, hindsight being 2020, I probably shouldn't have led with circumcision. Happy. <laughs> It's crazy. I just, it's hard on a topic like this because I probably got like five or six more of these things, but you got to cut it off at some point. So we're not going to. But they were, bump, there we go. So thanks for entertaining that. So they were, they were dealing with all of these hoops that they had to jump through, and it was crazy because um, these people, these Jews had been so ingrained in following the routine and the, the these and the thous and the do this and don't do this. They had just been, had it ingrained and beaten into their heads by this group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people that Jesus always butted heads with. You read the scripture. Like he would love the dirtiest of the dirtiest of people and they'd just go toe-to-toe with these religious Pharisees all the time. Um, when, when God gave the law to Moses, he gave how many commandments to Moses? Ten. He gave the original ten. Out of that ten came about 613 other laws. That got pretty complicated, huh? I mean, you know, we do a pretty good job of complicating stuff that's supposed to be simple. You know what I mean? I mean, look at the tax code we have complicated, you know, and especially when it comes to our walk with God, we tend to complicate things. And so these Pharisees got a hold of these laws and started complicating them. And you can't just have 613 or so laws. Now we got to add to them. And they added this thing to the law called the Midrash. The Midrash. Now that just sounds scary, doesn't it? That sounds like uh, COVID-19, monkeypox, uh, Midrash. You don't want that, you know. Everybody says, where's, where's Bob? He's not at church today. Well, he went out in the woods and he done caught the midrash, so he ain't going to be here today. You know, it, it, was, it sounds kind of creepy, but what it was, it was an attempt by these Pharisees to explain and define the laws, the guidelines that God had already given us. And they created thousands, I mean thousands of rules and regulations and definitions of what this is supposed to be and what that is supposed to be. Like if you just took the one commandment and the Ten Commandments where God said, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Take a day off and rest and use it to reflect on how good I am to you. These guys got a hold of that and created hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of subcategories and definitions. It just became impossible to keep up with it. Like it became crazy and silly. You ever know... uh, some of the states that still have these real weird rules and laws on the books. Like in some states, donkeys can't sleep in bathtubs. 
Laws on the books, you know. Like in some states, um, it's illegal to walk your chicken downtown without a leash. They'll lock you up for something. These laws still on the books that make no sense at all. Well, they had laws on the books that were just ridiculous. Here's one of them, all right? So on the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest, not supposed to do anything. So they got so crazy with this. They said, if a fly was in your house, you could not swat the fly and kill it. Because that would be the same thing as hunting. And hunting is work, and you don't do work on the Sabbath. Follow that logic. That's what these people were trying to keep up with, you know? So if you were walking outside, they had to define how far you could walk before it became work. And they figured it was somewhere around two-thirds of a mile. So if you went beyond that, now that's work. Now that's work. You're in violation of the law. So if you were out trying to walk around and stay inside of your two-thirds of the mile and you just decided you wanted to spit, you couldn't spit on the ground. You had to contain it in something. Because if you spit on the ground, you were disturbing the surface of the dirt. And that was the same as plowing. (laughs) And plowing is work, and you can't do that on the Sabbath. That's what they were trying to keep up with. This is silly. This is how dumb it was. If your house caught on fire, these are actually real rules. Check it out. Look it up. It's amazing. If your house was on fire... You couldn't pick up your clothes and carry them out of the house because that would be work. But what you could do is take those same clothes and put them on while your house is burning because wearing clothes is not work. So you could put the same clothes on and walk out and it would be okay because you're wearing them. Is that crazy or what? what these people were trying to keep up with and it was impossible and these are some of the things that this this group of Jews was trying to get this group of Gentiles or these new believers to follow suit behind and it was confusing a lot of people and it was damaging a lot of people's faith and it was doing so much that Paul felt the need to speak to it and I kind of feel the need to speak to it today because I still believe that that the number one tool that the enemy uses to confuse people and keep them away from the beauty and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is religious garbage. One of the sayings here at this church is we want this church to be a place where religion dies. There is a huge difference between religion and relationship. You know, Jesus came and died so we could have a relationship. Religion is always trying to see if you measure up. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. They were walking around saying, measuring this and measuring that, making sure everybody lined up with the law where you're a little bit short here. You walked a little bit too far today. Did you just spit on the ground? We don't plow on the Sabbath around here. You know, they're making sure that everybody was caught up in following these guidelines. Listen, how much excitement is there in keeping about 10,000 rules? No, no, no. So Jesus came to establish a relationship with us, to do away with all that religious garbage so that he could change us from the inside out and us not wear ourselves out trying to fix things from the outside in. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's just amazing to me. It's like, I, uh, man, y'all got treadmills at home? <laughs> These things right here, I know some of you never thought you would see the day when Pastor Josh got on a treadmill, it's 
crazy. So you start walking on these things. Man, these are just awesome. Get all your exercise in. Man, and you can go faster, faster, and you can just go crazy and start running and, and all of this stuff. If you're just out of your God-blessed mind, you know, you can work yourself silly and not go anywhere. I could turn this thing on and run from today until Friday and knock in hundreds of miles, have IVs and uh, end up in the ER a few times probably and all that stuff, come back hundreds of miles and not go anywhere. This is what religion does. It gets you to work and work and work and jump through hoops and it doesn't produce anything. You wear yourself out just going and you don't really go anywhere. You don't accomplish anything except wearing yourself out spiritually. Religion does a lot of damage. Religion and relationship are two different things. And I want to talk to you about the two for just a second. Um, religion is all about information. It is all about information. But relationship is about intimacy. It's about intimacy. Religion is all about what you can learn. It's about what you can absorb. But our relationship with Jesus is about none of that. It's about getting to know him. You know, he walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam in the cool of the day just so he could hang out with him. Jesus died on the cross to see the restoration in that relationship again. You know that God just wants to hang out with you? He wants to go out to dinner and talk. He wants to grab a cup of coffee and just hang out. He wants to hang out with you. That's his whole agenda there. Religion and relationship are two different things. Religion talks about law. Relationship is about love. Religion is all about what you can't do and what you should do, how you should dress, how you act. It's like trying to create a cookie cutter identity of what a Christian is supposed to look like. And, and Jesus isn't about any of that. In about any of that, God's motive towards us is love. You don't have to earn it. He already freely gives it to you. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? Do you know that God cannot possibly love you any more than he does right now? That is amazing. And we'll just wear ourselves out sometimes. Just, man, I got to get this right. I got to get this right. I got to fix this. Oh my God, I'm falling short in this. I just can't get control of this stuff in my life. And God's just like, hey, why don't you slow down and twi quit trying to fix this stuff on your own and just get with me and let me work in you through a relationship and change you from the inside out. Relationship and, and religion are two completely different things. What's the next one up there? Guilt. And grace. Guilt and grace. Man, religion is good at making us feel guilty. God is all about extending his grace to us. He says, yeah, I know you can't make it. That's why I came to die for you. So let me cover you with my grace and then let my grace teach you how to grow and mature and not make the same mistakes that you've been making. Guilt and grace. What's the next one we've got? My works versus his finished work, two completely different things. I'm not trying to earn it and wear myself out. I'm resting in what he's already done on the cross. Somebody needs to hear that right now. 
because you're wearing yourself out and you feel like you're not enough. And I'm here to remind you what Jesus did on the cross is enough to be enough. Enough to be enough. And it doesn't just end there. Activity and identity. Religion fills you up with activity. Going and doing and this because if, if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be at these places. I'm supposed to do these things. And it's all messed up. You don't do to earn. You, you do the things to serve God out of who he has created you. From the inside out, it flows out of identity. You don't get defined by what you do. What you do is defined by who Christ has made you from the inside out. Two completely different things. And I hate this because I think the big deception in getting caught up in this religion game is that we think we're okay, but we're not. And Jesus gives us a really sober reminder in Matthew chapter 7 In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, What group of people do you think Jesus is referring to in this passage of Scripture? You think he's talking about drug dealers? You think he's talking about murderers? No, these are things that churchy people do. Prophesying, we're casting out demons, we're performing miracles. We are crushing it over here. We are doing all of this stuff. And Jesus says, all of that stuff doesn't matter. It's not about what you do. It's about whether or not I'm in your heart. Do you know me? Do you know me? I think that's the dividing line between religion and a real relationship with Jesus. Do you? know him. I hate religion because religion cancels. Relationship cares and reaches out with the love of Jesus. Man, we live in a culture right now that'll cancel you in a heartbeat. And it doesn't matter if it's something you've done today or something you've done 30 years ago. If we, if they find out about it, they're going to dig it up and they're going to use it to destroy you. Like nothing is safe, man. You couldn't pay me to be a public figure right now. There's no way I want that bullseye on me. It is crazy. Do you know the church has been canceling people long before culture started canceling people? Oh, you're a teenage girl and you're pregnant? Uh, cancel. Oh, you're a family that has a, a teenager that's pregnant? What's wrong with your household? Cancel. Crazy. You're struggling with doubt? Right now, canceled. You've been divorced, canceled. You're still dealing with addiction, canceled. You had an abortion in the past, canceled, canceled. You vote Democrat, canceled. You vote Republican, canceled. You know what I mean? You're an Alabama fan? (laughs) Cancel. I mean, we'll cancel people over everything. Look, I am glad that Jesus didn't cancel me. Are you glad he didn't cancel you? 
Man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that, that he looks past the past. He looks past the mistakes. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't have the problem that the Pharisees had. They wanted to cancel people for messing up. And Jesus was around those people all the time. He was known as a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with tax collectors, which you didn't do in the day. Jesus was at the parties. Jesus, would, Jesus was around some shady people because those are the ones that needed him the most. Jesus is the one that crossed across, that went across racial barriers and cultural lines and he had the conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. Jews did not talk to Samaritan people at all, but he had the conversation. And you know what? Jesus went to her and was waiting on her when he showed up. That's how much he cares about us. Jesus was the one that stepped in and protected the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus was the one that prayed with the lepers when you weren't supposed to go near them. Jesus was the one that healed people on the Sabbath because they were there and they needed to be healed. Jesus's crew was a bunch of jacked up, messed up people. He had tax collectors on his discipleship team. He had liars on his discipleship team. He had Peter on his team who couldn't control his emotions or his mouth. Can anybody relate to that? They couldn't control his, he couldn't control his mouth. He denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus gave him the opportunity to be restored. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He was always there. Our Savior does not cancel. Our Savior rescues, and that's what the church is supposed to look like. Amen? What the church is supposed to look like. Not a religious place, but a place of relationship with Jesus that reaches out to others with the love of Jesus because that's what Jesus would do. It's all through Jesus, not through our efforts. All through Jesus, not through our efforts. John 3, 16, I love this. Um, he says, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to tell us all the areas we failed in. He came and said, yeah, I know about that. Well, let's get it right. Let's get it right. I'm here for you. Not the junk, not the garbage. We'll deal with that. I'm here for you. That's the Savior that we serve. Ephesians 2, I love this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. That's amazing. If I gave you a present for Christmas, and let's just say I gave you the coolest, just the coolest jacket on the planet. Merry Christmas, here you go. Coolest jacket on the planet. And you opened it, you said, ah, this is awesome. Coolest jacket on the planet. This is amazing. This is my jacket. And you walk around and you're like, this is my jacket. I did this. I did this. I earned this jacket because I'm a cool guy. I earned this jacket. That's what, what Paul is saying here. He's like, hey, you didn't earn this stuff. It was a gift from God. You couldn't get this together on your own. You needed Jesus. So salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's all on Jesus. Everybody say, it's all, it's all. On, Jesus. on Jesus. Oh, and thank God it's all on him. You know how bad I would jack up my walk with God if it was all on me? 
Oh, my Lord. I would just, let's be honest. I mean, y'all jack it up too, right? Yeah. yeah, it is all on him. We just got to have that relationship with him and let him change us from the inside out. Instead of trying to earn our way or look a certain way or be a certain way, it is all on Jesus. Religion does some crazy stuff. It, people like to go back to this treadmill from time to time. <sighs> Start working it out. Oh, well, I love Jesus. I guess I need to volunteer for Fall Fest. Good God, Rachel's... She's just twisting my arm. I guess we better bring candy. They need candy. We don't want to be the one people, people don't bring candy. Oh, my Lord, it's crazy. I'm visiting today. I'm a guest in this church, and I feel like I'm going to hell because I didn't bring candy with me. I didn't even know what's going on. I just got a body. Here we go. Got to have candy. Candy in church, back on the treadmill, earning our way, you know, and it's not what God intended at all. Religion, it, it creates unrealistic expectations. We put pressure on ourselves to do things that we're not capable of doing, and I think more tragically, we put expectations on others to do what they're not capable of doing on their own. Well, I figured you'd be over that by now. Man, look, how about, you, how about we focus on growing in the areas God wants us to grow in and let other people grow in the areas God wants them to grow in and keep our nose in our own business and encourage others with some love instead of pointing a finger telling them they ought to be doing something different than they're doing. Remember that passage of Scripture where Jesus was talking to the people and he said, Hey, hey, I, I know you're really focused on that little splinter that's in those other people's eyes, but... Don't you know you've got a freaking two-by-four sitting in yours right now? So why don't you handle your lumber before you start worrying about their sawdust? You know what I'm saying? we got enough to worry about here. On our own, for sure, religion creates unex unrealistic expectations. It glorifies opinion and preference. Half the issues that pastors have to deal with in church are over opinion and preference. My goodness, can we just all agree that everybody's got an opinion? And listen, we're all important as individuals, and we all, listen, we're loved by God, and we all have value. But can I just tell you, man, your, your, your opinion is not uh, Scripture. That's your opinion. That's your preference. The whole world, the universe, it does not revolve and rotate around you any more than it revolves and rotates around me. Sometimes it's just good for us to keep our mouth shut and love Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, opinion and preference all the time, it's all about power and control. That's what religion is all about. Not the freedom in Christ, but power and control. Religion, I'm telling you, is evil. It's about putting somebody on this treadmill and never letting them off. Never letting them off. Power and control. Power and control. It's about the devil getting us caught up in a game, thinking that we're okay and robbing us the reality of who Jesus is. It's about power and control. And I think even more evil is about people trying to control other people and create behavior modification instead of letting Jesus bring life transformation into the picture. Religion needs to die. Amen? It needs to die. It's, it's a horrible game. And, and I get it. I get it. 
probably like I used to be, man. I used to think, well, let's figure out what I got going on here. Well, I just, I might cuss a little bit. That's only about a foot that I'm off on measuring up to God's standard, you know what I mean? I mean, really, Pastor, you're telling me you wouldn't hit your thumb with a hammer and might say something you shouldn't say? I mean, come on, Pastor. It's just a little bit here and there. Well, I just drink just a little bit. That's not that much, about four feet or so. But I'm still good. I'm inside the boundary. I think I'm okay with God. You know, I just dealing with past. Well, that's my personal business, so we're going to shrink it back down there because everybody's got their own baggage to deal with. But we don't realize that baggage leads to bitterness, anger, resentment. Well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think at the end of the day, what I've got, I just, it's, it's little overall, I'm a good person. And see, that's where we miss it because it's not about being good or being bad. It's about either being spiritually dead or being spiritually alive. That's the difference between the two. Can't be good enough to get into heaven. Probably some of us felt weird coming into church today because when you got in the parking lot, you started getting a little antsy because you're like, oh my Lord, I did this, that, and the other this last week, and I don't even know, I might burst into flames if I walk in the building. They, they better have a fire extinguisher close by. You know, we start thinking, I'm not good enough to be in here. Well, I'll serve God when I handle this or that. or I'll, I'll, And it doesn't work that way at all. You'll never be good enough. And actually, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3. It says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Well, I've been having a pretty good week, Pastor. I don't know about that. Yeah, but have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told a lie? Ever in your life? No, it only takes one sin to fall short. One sin to miss the mark. See, when Jesus came, he came to deal with sin. You take care of the sin issue, the rest takes care of itself from the inside out. That's the difference between religion and relationship. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this thing right here doesn't matter at all. What matters is, is Jesus right here. That's what matters the most. Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we fell into sin, that sin had to be punished. So either we receive the punishment for the sin that's in our life or we accept the work that Jesus did on the cross where he took on our sin and paid the price for that sin so that we could be forgiven. Whew. So that we could come alive again on the inside because of what he did on the cross for us. Religion and relationships are two completely different things. Romans 5 verse 8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am so glad that Jesus died for me. Think about your worst day ever. I mean like, like that day that you don't tell people about if you're talking about your testimony. You know, that day we don't, or the stuff you edit out of your testimony. Think about your worst day where you did the worst thing ever in your life. Jesus loved you enough on that day to die for you. 
says, while we were still sinners, while we were still jacked up, while we were still messed up, Jesus died for us. That's amazing to me. On a maybe. Maybe they'll accept me. Maybe they'll want to hang out with me. Maybe they'll let me love them. He loved us enough to go all the way, pay the ultimate price. Got a little girl named Abby that we're going to be baptizing. Uh, I'm so excited to get to baptize my little girl today. It's going to be awesome. Remember one day when ba- a- Abby might have been, she, I don't even think she was one. She might have been, no, she, w- she was one because she was talking a little bit. And I was on daddy duty that day. Dad, you know what I mean when I say I'm on daddy duty, right? Man, it's daddy duty. Song. No problems. Dirty diapers. I got this. Baby needs to be fed. I got this. Baby's crying. Daddy's got it. Got this. I heard some crying coming from the bedroom. And I walked into the bedroom and I got hit in the face with one of the most awful smells I've ever encountered in my life. Daddy's got this. Daddy's got this. I looked over and, and my little girl Abby, she wasn't feeling well that day. And she had just, y'all understand what I say, what I mean when I say an explosion in a diaper? There had been an explosion in a diaper and the explosion had become a volcano and the volcano had erupted and it had everywhere. I still don't see how that happened. It does not make sense. It defies the laws of physics. For a little bitty kid to be able to just fountain a whole room. I just don't get that. So she had that problem going on. And she had thrown up in her little crib area too. And what made it worse was she had tried to clean herself up. And so she had taken off the diaper and... She was covered. The, the crib was covered. The walls were covered. The blankets were covered. She was covered. Her hair, it, it was just on her everywhere, covered in this stuff. And I'm trying to formulate the plan here. Well, the water hose will reach so far, and I think I can use it. You know, you know what I mean? It's like I'm not going to come into contact with this. And so... Um, I'm trying to figure this out and and Abby just looks over at me and she sticks out her arms and she goes, I hold you. She was so young then she wasn't saying things right. It wasn't, will you hold me? It was, I hold you. And cutest thing ever, she looked at me and said, I hold you? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) This, This is something. I hold you. She just looked so pathetic, I couldn't help myself. I walked over and I was like, okay, there's got to be a clean spot. So let's check the armpits. Okay, thumbs in the armpits, lift up, I can do this, and a minimal, minimal transfer, you know? (laughs) Minimal transfer is what we're going for. I walk over and I pick her up, and I got her right here. And I start walking over, and my strategy was just to get her to the bathtub, all right? We're just going to get her in the bathtub, and eventually things will come clean, you know? You're in the bathtub, get the shower going or something. And that was my plan. And I got to the bathroom door and she just kind of leaned in a little bit. She wanted to get all, she wanted me to hold her, hold her, not hold her, hold her, you know. She's leaning in and I'm like, oh God. She's wanting full commitment here. 
there's going to be transfer. There's, there's no way this is going to work out. And I'm thinking, okay, do I just play it safe and get her in the tub or and say the therapy is not going to be that expensive later on for me to, to not hug my own kid when she's sick and not feeling good? And you know what? Daddy's got this. So I let her come in. She just laid her little head on me and just that little breathing thing and I had her and I went to take a step the Lord spoke to me and he said this this is how I love you it rocked my world I didn't try to clean you up and you had made a huge mess out of your life trying to fix things on your own. And I picked you up and I brought you to myself and I cleaned you up later. It changed how I saw Jesus. Do you know that he loves you enough just to take you right where you are and all the dirt and all the mess and all the junk Maybe you've been trying to clean your life up for, for weeks, for months, or even years, and it just hasn't worked. You've just been running yourself ragged on this treadmill. And I'm here to tell you there's a better way, and his name is Jesus. And you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. He'll come to you and pick you up out of the mess of your life and put it all back together again. I got to wonder today if maybe there's some of us in here that need to hop off that treadmill and jump into a relationship with the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Get everyone standing. I know some of you are stretching knees and I can hear things popping and clicking from up here. It's all right. It's all good. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there. Hey, let's do this. Now that we're all standing, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Have you been playing a religious game? You've been coming to church for so long that you've just become about church and not that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're a guest and and man, this is the first time you've been in church for I don't know how long. And I'm here to tell you, man, the secret's not in church. The secret is Jesus. Whether he's Lord and Savior of your life. Whether he sits on the throne of your heart. Whether he sets you free from that sin. I'm not talking about if you prayed some kind of prayer in the Sunday school class 30 years ago or or even five years ago, or even last week. I'm asking, is he Lord and Savior of your life today? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because that's all that matters. It's all that matters. A lot of people think they believe in God and they're okay, but the Bible says that the demons in hell believe in God and tremble with fear. Belief in God never kept anyone out of hell. It's a relationship with Jesus that matters most.
That's what we're all about here at this church, and that's what I want you to be about today. I don't want you to walk out of here and miss the opportunity of having Jesus be Lord and Savior of your life, because the reality is without Jesus, we're all going to hell. The wages of that sin is still death without Jesus. And that's a bill you don't have to pay yourself. If you'll let him, Jesus will wipe that debt out and pay that price today in full in your heart. Are you here today and you know that you need to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? You know that there's sin in your heart that shouldn't be there and you got to get it out and get Jesus back in control? Are you playing a church game? caught up in religion and you need to get back to a relationship when I count to three if that's you I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me because I want to pray with you this morning and get that right before we celebrate nine people getting baptized and going public in their faith with Jesus maybe we need to get that right for ourselves today on the count of three if that's you I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me here we go one two Three, lift them up and look at me. If that's you this morning, I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. Pastor Josh, man, I, I need to get this right. I see yours. I see yours. Praise God. I see yours over there. That's awesome. I love what God is doing in this place right now. I love what he's doing in this place right now. A little bit longer. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, you know you need to. Lift them up and look at me. I see yours. It's awesome. I love it. I love what the Lord is doing. Now, everyone, look at me here. This is what I want to do. Sometimes people do this and sometimes people don't. I want the opportunity to be able to pray with you personally. All right, like praying in a group is one thing. I want to pray with you personally. So if you lifted up your eyes and you said, hey, I, I want to make some changes and I want to get some stuff right and I need to settle the Jesus issue in my heart, would you do me a favor? Could you meet me up here at this altar area and let me pray with you personally this morning? I know it takes a little bit of courage and it takes a little bit of guts, but I believe you got it in you, okay? So if you lifted your eyes and you said, I need to get some stuff right in my walk with Jesus, will you come on up here and let me pray with you personally this morning? Let's give them a hand as they come up here. Come on. Come on.